48K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Sean Kennedy. Tonight's headlines. The government says the fine for social distancing viola- violations will rise from two to $5,000 next Friday. It comes as authorities confirm 112 new COVID-19 cases along- and as well as two more deaths. And lawmakers approve funds for feasibility studies on the controversial Landau Tomorrow Reclamation Project. The government is increasing fines for people who breach anti-epidemic rules from the current $2,000 to 5000 Authorities say the old fine wasn't enough of a deterrent and the new fine will be implemented next Friday. Cecil Wong reports. The government says increasing the fine is imperative to effectively deter people from violating social distancing regulations as Hong Kong is hit by a fourth wave of COVID-19 infections. That's why starting next Friday, anyone who breaches the public gathering ban on groups of more than two people, fails to wear a mask in public, or refuse to submit to a COVID-19 test when ordered to, are subject to a new fixed penalty of $5,000. That's up from the current 2000 The maximum penalties for violators who are convicted in court will rise to $10,000. The government said authorities will step up enforcement action, and if the higher fines do not have the desired effect, they could be increased further in future. Federation of Trade Unions lawmaker Alice Mack says she hopes the fine will act as a deterrent, but believes compulsory testing is the best way to contain the virus. I hope that the increase of the penalty will help to increase the deterrent effect of the penalty and more people will be willing to apply with the, the concerned measures. But I think most important of all is a mandatory comprehensive testing is essential and necessary because we need to contain the spread of the virus in a very short time. But Richard Tsui from the Society for Community Organisation said the fine was already too high for the city's grassroots who are suffering from the economic downturn. We don't see, even though you have a higher penalty, we have a extremely big uh, deterring effect. Because being 2000 Hong Kong dollars already make especially the grassroots people unaffordable. Health officials have reported 112 new COVID-19 cases, including 100 which are locally acquired. 36 of the new local cases, including those of two students and a taxi driver, don't have known sources. The Centre for Health Protection's Dr Chuang Shukwan says there's no sign that the fourth wave is abating. The numbers are still increasing and the number of unlinked cases is still higher than yesterday. So um, the, the epidemic is still increasing. So we have not uh, observed any downward trend yet. Meanwhile, health officials say they're still trying to find out how four people who went to concerts held at the Hong Kong Coliseum last month contracted the virus and whether they're linked. The four went to concerts by local singer Hins Chung last month, but on different dates. Health authorities also say two more COVID patients have died, raising the city's toll to 112. One of the deceased patients was a 38-year-old man with chronic illnesses who was also later found to be infected with type A influenza. The other victim was an 82-year-old woman. Lawmakers have approved a $550 million government funding request for feasibility studies on a massive reclamation project off Lantau. The government is aiming to create 1,000 hectares of land for its Lantau Tomorrow project at an estimated cost of more than $600 billion. The council, now left without an opposition following a series of disqualifications and resignations, voted to approve the funding with 33 votes for, two against and two abstentions. Development Secretary Michael Wong dismissed suggestions that the government would forge ahead with the controversial project, no matter what. He spoke through an interpreter. It's not like our word above everyone else's word. There are mechanisms in place. There are no insurmountable difficulties. 
but there are two hoops we have to jump through. We still have to do the outline zoning plan. We have to go through the town planning process at the town planning board. And then for the environment, transport, and the layout, we have to look at whether the whole proposal is feasible. And then in 42 months, we have to go through the environmental impact assessment procedure. Chief Executive Carrie Lam said in her recent policy address that the project is needed to address Hong Kong's land and housing shortages. But critics say the costly initiative would deplete Hong Kong's coffers and would wreck the marine environment. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is coming up to five minutes past 11. A police officer has been found guilty of misconduct in public office for failing to stop two colleagues from physically and sexually assaulting a man while he was tied down on a hospital bed. Wang Yin Ting reports. CCTV footage had captured the two officers slapping the man's face, prodding him with batons and punching his genitals. Two officers, Ao Kwok Wai and Tang Man Him, who took part in the attack, pleaded guilty to misconduct. Another policeman, Lam Yik Singh, denied misconduct but was convicted at the district court. The judge said Lam had deliberately neglected his duty by failing to stop the assaults. All three officers were remanded in custody ahead of sentencing on December the 18th. Victim Chong Chi Hua, who was 62 at the time, was arrested in June last year for injuring an officer and a bystander in Shengshou while he was drunk. He was taken to a psychiatric ward in North District Hospital where the attack took place. The victim, who was later given a six-month prison term after pleading guilty to assault, said the police violence had left him with a torn ligament in his hand, multiple bruises and bleeding from the mouth. Former Democratic Party legislator Lam Chek Teng, who has been helping the victim and his family, says they are also planning a civil claim against the officers for compensation. The father of Chelsea Locke, who died last year during anti-government protests, has welcomed the emergence of new video footage, which appears to show the moment his son fell from a height in a Chungkwano car park. The footage was unearthed by the coroner presiding over the inquest into the 22-year-old's death and was shown at a hearing this morning before proceedings were adjourned until Tuesday. Vicky Wong has details. The footage shows a small black shadow falling in the Chungkwano car park, for a split second in the top right-hand corner of the screen. Coroner David Coe, who found the image after going through security video that hadn't been shown in court, said the timestamp on the footage didn't match the time when an ambulance man said an ambulance had left the area. Mr Coe decided to list the fire services department as an interested party. He said he'd asked police to investigate the CCTV cameras in the area and prepare maps of their locations. Mr Coe told the jury to be prepared for the 25-day inquest to be extended because of the new findings. 22-year-old Chao Tsi Lok was found to be seriously hurt in the small hours of November the 4th last year, while police were conducting an operation to disperse anti-government protesters. Beijing has accused Danish politicians of violating basic norms governing international relations in a feud over a visit by former Hong Kong lawmaker Ted Hoy to the Scandinavian country. Mr Hoy had announced in Denmark on Thursday that he was going into exile. Violet Wong has more. Foreign Ministry spokesperson Hua Chen Ying said the action of the Danish lawmakers, whom she did not name, damages Denmark's image as a country that has always emphasized the rule of law. 
She added that China opposes any individual, organization, or country that interferes in Hong Kong affairs, meddles in its judicial sovereignty, and harbors what she called criminals from the SAR. Her comments came during a visit to Denmark by Ted Ho, who is facing several prosecutions here. But he was able to get his passport back from the government and obtain a visa after receiving an invitation from Danish lawmakers to travel to Denmark, where he arrived on Tuesday. He has said he would soon move to Britain, though he won't claim asylum anywhere. The head of Beijing's liaison office says the national security law is starting to show its might in Hong Kong, but Luo Huineng also made it clear proper systems and mechanisms are needed to make people comply with it of their own free will. Francis sit with that story. Beijing's top official in Hong Kong told an online symposium marking Constitution Day that the social unrest in the SAR last year has posed a huge threat to national security and a serious challenge to one country, two systems. But Luo Huining also said the national security law has started to have the desired effect in recent months, even though Hong Kong needs to further strengthen protections for national security. A lot of requirements under the national security law need to be turned into proper systems and mechanisms, so the law can become behavior guidelines that Hong Kong people would comply with of their own will, he said. Mr. Law also said there have been a series of political and legal controversies since the handover, because some people have disregarded fundamental changes to the SAR's constitutional foundations. He added that a resolution last month by the National People's Congress Standing Committee, which led to the disqualification of four pro-democracy lawmakers, has set out the standard for Hong Kong to be ruled by patriots. Speaking at the same event, Chief Executive Carrie Lam said the public need more education on the relationship between the basic law and the Chinese constitution. The anti-epidemic measures that remain in force in Hong Kong mean there won't be any fireworks ringing in the new year again this year. Timmy Sung has details. The Tourism Board has announced the cancellation of a number of festive events because of COVID-19. Among them, a fireworks display on New Year's Eve and a Chinese New Year parade. In a statement, the board says New Year counts down celebrations won't be held on December the 31st because of the need to uphold social distancing measures. That means the event has been scrapped for the second straight year. Last year's countdown was cancelled because of the anti-government protests. And the parade, traditionally held on the first day of the Chinese New Year, will suffer the same fate. The board says performing groups from around the world won't be able to come to Hong Kong because of COVID-related travel restrictions. Instead, the board is considering what it described as an online and offline event to usher in the Year of the Ox, with details to be announced later. U.S. prosecutors are reported to be negotiating a plea deal with the lawyers of a top executive from the Chinese tech giant Huawei that would see her released from house arrest in Canada. News of the negotiations surrounding Meng Wanzhou comes from unnamed sources originally cited in the Wall Street Journal. Ms. Meng is accused of fraud and for allegedly misleading banks about Huawei's suspected business dealings with Iran, which is subject to U.S. sanctions. China has again denied the accusations. Hua Chunyin is a foreign ministry spokeswoman. Meng Wanzhou is innocent. The case is very clear. The U.S. did this completely out of the political purpose of suppressing the development of Chinese high-tech companies, and Canada has played a very disgraceful role in it. 
Beijing has responded angrily to the Trump administration's move to add China's SMIC and CNUC to a defence blacklist, demanding Washington stop abusing the concept of national security. Cecil Wong reports. Foreign Ministry spokeswoman Hua Chunying told a regular briefing in Beijing that the addition of China's top chipmaker SMIC and oil giant CNUC to a blacklist of alleged Chinese military companies would severely harm U.S. interests. The decision means the firms will now be denied access to a range of U.S. goods and technology. And President Trump has issued an executive order preventing U.S. investors from buying shares in the blacklisted firms as of next year. SMIC said in a stock market statement that it strongly opposes the decision, saying it reflects a fundamental misunderstanding by the U.S. administration regarding the end uses of its business and technology. The company also said there is no major impact of its addition to the list. The expanded blacklist is seen as part of a bid to cement Donald Trump's tough-on-China legacy and to box Joe Biden, the Democratic president-elect, into hardline positions on Beijing amid bipartisan anti-China sentiment in Congress. The first Rohingya refugees have arrived on a remote island in the Bay of Bengal as part of the Bangladeshi government's plan to relocate thousands of them. Around 1,600 reached Boshachar Island. The BBC's Anbarasan Etirajan has more. The Rohingya refugees were packed across the decks of Bangladeshi naval vessels on plastic chairs. The journey from the port of Chittagong to Boshanchor Island takes several hours. Dhaka says facilities in the island are much better than in the overcrowded camps in Cox's Bazar. But aid agencies say the island, which emerged from the sea 20 years ago, is vulnerable to cyclone and floods. Some refugee families say they are being relocated against their will. But the government denies transferring them forcefully. The authorities want to relocate around 100,000 Rohingya to Boshanchar Island. Sport Now and the BBC's John Bennett has this look ahead to the weekend football action in the English Premier League. It's a special weekend in the Premier League because for the first time in nine months, there'll be fans back at some of the games. 2,000 supporters are allowed into stadiums in areas of England where the alert level due to the coronavirus pandemic is below very high. The North London derby, Tottenham against Arsenal, will be one of the games with fans watching from the stands. Arsenal are in dreadful form going into the game. They sit in the bottom half of the table. They've lost three consecutive top-flight games at home. Tottenham, on the other hand, are top of the Premier League. They've won five of their last six games in all competitions. Elsewhere, Manchester United will be looking to bounce back after a disappointing defeat to PSG in the Champions League. They travel to fifth-placed West Ham. Chelsea are aiming to extend their 15-match unbeaten run when they host Leeds United. And Liverpool's impressive new recruit, Diogo Jota, faces his old club when Wolverhampton Wanderers visit Anfield. Meanwhile, at the bottom of the table, Sheffield United are still searching for their first win of the season. But their opponents, Leicester City, are also on a poor run after losing their last two Premier League games against Liverpool and Fulham. And that's the news from RTHK. It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's News Wrap programme. The government has decided to increase the fines for people who breach anti-epidemic rules from $2,000 to $5,000 starting next Friday. There had previously been suggestions that the penalty would jump to $10,000 after Chief Executive Carrie Lam said the current fine clearly isn't enough to deter people from breaching the regulations. But Richard Soy from the Society for Community Organisation told Anna-Marie Evans he thinks the new fine is too high. I think the um, increase to uh, 5000 already too high. 
for uh, grassroots people, uh, especially uh, now the economic situation uh, is uh, quite poor, and uh, more and more uh, people, uh, especially the um, uh, grassroots people, are being affected uh, with uh, towards unemployment or at least um, lower pay than before. So uh, we don't see, uh, even though you have a higher penalty, we have a um, it's an extremely big uh, uh, deterring effect uh, because I think 2,000 uh, Hong Kong dollars already uh, make especially the Guazhou people unaffordable. Indeed, and uh, I mean, have some of these people also had trouble buying any uh, face masks or do you think that face masks are generally available now to everybody? Well, of course, um, uh, that is uh, uh, easier than that uh, in uh, uh, February uh, this year. But still, you know, uh, every day uh, uh, the people need to wear masks um, uh, on the street. And I, I think uh, with a uh, household of uh, one, uh, three to four uh, persons, indeed, that will be accumulated um, uh, increase uh, in the uh, uh, daily expense uh, for poor people. Uh, I, I think I also, uh, we also notice uh, actually some other countries like the, the United Kingdom, uh, they also have uh, this kind of fine or penalty to the uh, people not wearing masks. But indeed, um, they have a much um, lower uh, penalty uh, level. Like in the uh, uh, England, uh, they uh, fine uh, one uh, 200 pounds. That, of course, uh, approximately one two two thousand Hong Kong dollars. But in Scotland, uh, uh, Wales and uh, North Ireland, they just fund uh, 60 pounds uh, for not wearing masks. So indeed, I think the existing level of 2,000 uh, in Hong Kong already high enough if we increase to 5,000 Hong Kong dollars, uh, that indeed uh, is uh, uh, quite high, uh, especially to the poor people. And indeed, and the domestic helpers, I mean, uh, the foreign domestic helpers, I mean, some of those have been penalised. They're easy targets on a Sunday. Yeah, uh, you, you know, uh, that's, uh, of course, uh, on the one hand, we uh, hope uh, more and more, uh, you know, educational work or persuasion uh, by the police or other um, uh, uh, enforcement agency uh, uh, to persuade uh, those, including the uh, domestic helper, uh, to um, more concern about the, the health uh, situation and social distancing. But uh, if try to impose quicker penalty, uh, may not really help, but uh, indeed would definitely have a greater burden uh, to their uh, already very low uh, income level. The reported increase in the fine comes as Hong Kong remains in the grip of a fourth wave of infections. The number of newly confirmed cases again reached triple digits today with 112. Two more COVID-19 related deaths were reported and there are rising concerns about a group of concert goers who've caught the virus. Our reporter Jimmy Choi listened in to the latest briefing from health officials and gave more details to Jim Gould.
The health officials have reported 112 new COVID cases, with 100 of them being locally acquired infections. And 36 of the new local cases uh, do not have known sources of infections, and they include two students and a taxi driver. Um, and officials also reported around 80 preliminary positive cases. And um, so the Center of Health, uh, for Health Protections, Dr. Chuang Shukguan, says there's no sign that the fourth wave is abating. Um, and she says um, um, they have not any uh, observed any downward trend yet. And among the 64 linked cases, 17 of them were found to be linked to the dancing cluster. Nine were linked to a care home and a hostel in Xiaokei Wan. And seven were related to the Lohas Park cluster where um, some construction workers and their families were infected. And what about the people who've been confirmed with COVID-19 after uh, recently attending pop concerts? Uh, what do we know about that? So um, the health officials say they're still trying to find out how uh, the four people who went to concerts uh, held at the Hong Kong Coliseum last month contracted the virus and whether they were linked cases. Uh, the four people um, uh, went to the local singer Hins Jun's concert last month on different dates, uh, which were the uh, November the 22nd, the 27th, the 28th and the 29th, respectively. Uh, but two of the patients have reportedly sat on the same role. So Dr. Chuan said among the four cases, two of them um, had family members who had earlier been diagnosed with the virus. But she said she cannot um, confirm whether this is a cluster or transmission yet. Uh, she said uh, she has asked the authorities to carry out thorough disinfection, and um, they will also uh, be asked to carry out testing uh, for all the workers and all the performers. Bangladesh has begun relocating hundreds of Rohingya families to a remote island. Dhaka says facilities are much better on Bashandar Island than in the overcrowded camps in Cox's Bazaar. But aid agencies say it's vulnerable to cyclones and floods. Some refugee families say they're being relocated against their will. Fortify Rights, which is based in Thailand, is among a number of human rights groups that are concerned about the move. Its regional director, Ismail Wolf, speaks to the BBC's Bolo Mazuro. The island, as you said, is, is extremely isolated. The issue here really is that the, we have concerns around whether uh, the island is suitable uh, for housing refugees. As you say, there are over a million refugees in the mainland Bangladesh, and certainly there are problems there, and it's imperfect. Um, Bangladesh has been sort of touting this island of Basan Char, a silt island in the middle of the Bay of Bengal as a place for housing refugees for a long time. What we've asked for, what the UN has asked for over and over again, is that before any refugees are moved there, that there has to be a, a, a formal uh, technical assessment of whether the, the facilities are actually suitable. The issues, you know, one of the key issues here is about the deprivation of liberty, which is a human right for all and, and also applies to, to refugees. So freedom of movement is an extreme concern there. Uh, if Once the refugees are on the island, they're unable to get off again uh, without the support can, of, the, of the Navy. Can I ask, and I know it's a totally different country, is it because you've seen what's happened, for instance, with complaints about uh, migrants or asylum seekers in Australia who've been in offshore islands of like Nauru and Manus Islands? Is that what's kind of piqued your concern, seeing what's happened there? Um, to some extent, I, mean, I think that it certainly has some uh, correlation in terms of what's happening there. But I think in, in Australia, they've actually gone the other way. And they, you know, they don't deny that it is a detention centre. Refugees under international law should not be detained at any time uh, just based solely on the status of their immigration status. So that is part of it. But the other part here is that, again, 
this is uh, supposedly somewhere that the Bangladesh authorities say uh, is, is suitable for refugees. If it is so, then they should be doing this transparently. Well, it's been a tough year for most of us, but not as tough as it has been for Hong Kong's many charities, relying heavily on public donations. So this year, Operation Santa Claus is helping 19 beneficiaries, one of which is the esteemed Zubin Foundation. To find out more about the organisation, Radio 3's Peter King spoke to two people whose lives have changed for the better thanks to the foundation. And first, their founder and CEO, Shalini Matani. The Zubin Foundation works with probably the poorest population in Hong Kong, where one in four live in poverty. And the Zubin Foundation has been helping this population since 2015. And we have noticed in our work that there are gaps in the provision of mental health in Hong Kong for non-Cantonese speakers. So what we have sought to do starting 2019 is we set up the Ethnic Minority Wellbeing Centre for adults, which is essentially a counselling centre for those who are 16 years and above where we provide counselling in Hindi, Urdu and English. And we started that as a pilot in September 2019 together with the University of Hong Kong Department of Psychiatry. Mm. And with that, we have seen um, a number of cases, over 40 cases, and given over 140 hours of counselling, free counselling. And we've seen the severity of the individuals that our mental health professionals serve. And as we were dealing with these individuals, all 16 years and above, it became apparent to us that many of us have suffered for a long time. And you are able to treat mental health earlier it's better for the person suffering because they have perhaps less burden on their shoulders. They've got someone to talk to. And hopefully, by the time they get to adulthood, they would have dealt with some of that. So the sorts of issues we deal with at the Zubin Foundation on our other youth projects relate to domestic violence, abuse. It also covers cultural issues so there are massive cultural and generational barriers now in hong kong we we do have social services are they not sufficient i guess they're obviously not to to bring good people like yourself into the hong kong does have a robust social services across hong kong however what is lacking in the mental health space is mental health counseling that is linguistically and culturally appropriate so If a child is not Cantonese-speaking and not English-speaking, there is no service that provides professional help to them in their home languages. What we do have in Hong Kong, in the hospital authority, are translators. But what has been evidenced from other parts of the world is counselling is most effective when it's done in the home language. Mm. And also, when we talk about abuse and trauma, um, these children go through this at home and they go through it in their home language. So when they're talking about and reflecting about some of these things, they revert back to that language. And it's important that they're understood and and really heard if we want to make impact. We tried different ways to help my daughter before. We tried to get help from different social workers and also doctors. However, due to language and uh, cultural reasons, 
Even my daughter tried hard, all these didn't work out. There's nobody really in social services that could speak your language or understand your traditions and help like that. Actually, she's been receiving things like this kind of counseling, but uh, Chinese. And she quit. She's not willing to go again. It is very important to have the same language, you know, they know the culture of us. I have been living in Hong Kong for 14 years. I hear that the Zubin Foundation was giving food to people in need. I was the one of them, as at that time, have two children to feed and no other support. I could not afford the food, had no job. Also, my husband left me, so he used to divorce me. He already go back to Pakistan. How do you feel now? Uh, I'm better now, thank you. Because they have uh, Zubin Foundation arranged a sponsor for me, and they have uh, some um, special concert. They will talk to me, they spend time with me, and they just ask me to uh, just forget the life, uh, the past life, and then just many, many things. They just help me, when, but now I'm fine. For us, the Zubin Foundation's counseling service is very important and really uh, effective for our background and culture like us. Operation Santa Claus, we're extraordinarily grateful to them because what they're doing is they're going to be supporting 50 ethnic minority children to attend counselling sessions, which basically translates to 600 therapy sessions. And bear in mind, there is nothing in Hong Kong today of this kind. So ethnic minority children who are trauma victims, who are going through or have gone through domestic violence or child abuse or facing conflict at home, essentially don't have anyone to talk to in their language. So it's fantastic that Operation Santa Claus has chosen to support ethnic minority children who are often the most invisible because they are a minority and they are also a racial minority. So it's, you know, really thank you to Operation Santa Claus and all its donors. Founder and CEO of the Zubin Foundation, Shalini Matani, talking with Peter King. If you'd like to find out more about the organization or our beneficiaries this year, and especially if you'd like to make a donation, please visit the Radio 3 homepage or osc.semp.com. Those stories were part of the Newsrep program, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Fight the virus, stay vigilant. If you think you have a higher risk of COVID-19 exposure or experience discomfort, you can collect specimen bottles for free testing from designated public clinics. Meanwhile, the government will arrange free testing for targeted groups. To minimize the risk of community transmission, we should take the initiative to get tested. Together, we must fight the virus. Stay vigilant. Visit coronavirus.gov.hk for details. Radio 3 Weather. Well, look at the weather forecast for tonight and tomorrow. Mainly fine and dry, rather cool in the morning with a temperature of around 13 degrees in town and a couple of degrees lower in the new territories. Maximum temperature will be around 19 degrees during the day and the winds we can expect will be moderate to fresh north to northeasterlies. The outlook, remaining cool in the mornings and following couple of days with temperatures rising slightly in the middle and latter parts of next week. 
Currently, the air quality health index here in Hong Kong remains low to moderate, with readings of three and four. At the observatory, the air temperature is 16 degrees Celsius. Relative humidity stands at 63 percent. Back to the music now, assorted ballads and easy listening through till one. Simon Wilson sitting in for Uncle Ray, the world's most durable DJ. He'll be back with you on Monday. In the meantime, Simon and Garfunkel, Bridge Over Troubled Waters. When you're weary Feeling small Say 